Good morning. Welcome to Triad Baptist Church. We're glad that you are with us today. For those of you joining us online, we're especially glad that you're with us uh, here this morning. Of all the places that they could have chosen to be on a Sunday morning, they've chosen to be with us. And so we're glad for those of you watching today that you're with us. If you're visiting with us, we're glad that you're here as well. Thanks for being part of our worship service here today. Um, We're three weeks out from Easter and Resurrection Sunday, and I love all that comes with spring, except for the allergies. That's the only thing I don't like that comes along with spring. Those have hit my house. Maybe they've hit yours. But I love spring. I love Easter. I love this time of year. Uh, So far this year, I've been reading through the Gospels in my personal devotions. I read through them in January and again in February, and I'm almost through my third trip in the Gospels. And so if you have a Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 19 this morning. Go ahead and find your place there. We'll be in John 19 this morning. I appreciate the praise team and our time of worship. Man of Sorrows, that last song is one of my favorites and goes right along with our thought today. Before I read the text, uh, I want to share a story with you. A couple months ago, I, was, I got to speak at a conference in Texas, and we were there with a couple other pastors, and we went out to eat at a restaurant. And we were sitting there at the restaurant, and the pastor next to me was, was staring at my hand. And I thought it was weird. And he said, hey man, what happened to your hand? And I thought, I don't know what he's talking about. And I looked down and when I was five years old, I had surgery to correct a tendon issue with my thumb. And so I have a scar here on my hand, another here, and then my, my thumb is just riddled with scars. I've got scars all over my left hand, but I don't think about it because it happened you know, when I was five years old. So it doesn't hurt. It doesn't cause me any pain. It's not something I think about. So when he said it, it startled me. And I like looked at my hand. I thought something was wrong. And I saw the scars, what he was talking about. He was like, hey man, what happened to your hand? I was like, oh, shark bite. (laughs) And he said, for real? I said, no, not for real. That would be a cool story. And uh, I shared with him a little bit of what happened about the scars on my hand. And then uh, a couple weeks ago, I was somewhere having coffee with a friend, and I was wearing shoes similar to these where you can see my ankles, and I've got this scar right here on my ankle. And when I crossed my leg, he said, hey, man, that's a pretty gnarly scar. And I said, shark attack. And uh, he said, for real? And I said, no, not for real, but if you're going to ask, I'm going to give you something, you know. And uh, I said, that's actually a cooler story. I said, I was on a cruise with my family about 10 years ago. We went to Bermuda, and we were jumping off rocks into water, and I actually hit a rock Uh, there at the bottom and shattered my leg as it connects to my ankle bone and had to have surgery. And he was like, wow, that is not as cool as the shark story, but still a pretty cool story. And so I was reflecting on that and I never have anybody ask about scars on my hand uh, or on my ankle. And I just, I thought that was interesting. And I was considering those conversations. I'm reminded that in our lives, all of us have scars. And what's more than that is sometimes people want to know about those scars Maybe they're a cool story, maybe they're not a cool story, but all of us here today, regardless of how we got them, we have scars. We have scars on our body, we have scars on our emotions. Some of you today have scars on your mind, on your family, on your past, scars that you're ashamed of, scars that you wish would not have happened to you. A lot of times we get scars from our friends, we get scars from people that we love. What's weird about scars is that they don't hurt us anymore but sometimes the memory of them does. The scars don't hurt. They've been healed. Uh, I I got my scar on my hand decades ago. I got the scar on my leg years ago. I don't wake up in the middle of the night with pain. The scars physically don't hurt me anymore, but sometimes the emotional memory of some of the scars that we have do. There can be tremendous power 
in a wound. I read this statement recently, we impress people with our strengths, but we connect with them through our weaknesses. That is so powerful. If I were to tell you things that I thought were impressive that you may find impressive, I make it impress you from a distance with my strengths. But if I really wanted to connect with you, I would talk about how mistake-ridden and mistake-prone and flawed that I really am. Because we impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. And I believe that's such a powerful truth. That's why they asked about my scars. Ultimately, it was because they had scars too. As much as we'd like to, none of us gets through life unscathed. I would love to get through life unscathed. I wish that my kids could get through life unscathed. A week ago, right now, uh, everything was fine in my family. We ended up going to the ER last Sunday night because preacher's kids never get sick on the, week, on the weekdays, you know? It doesn't happen that way. It's always weekends. And I would love for my life to go unscathed and my kids' lives to just travel through life unscathed. How wonderful would that be if we could go through life with no pain and no wounds and no scars? But we don't connect with people when we've got it all together. Sometimes we connect best through our scars and our weaknesses and our wounds. In John 19, Jesus is about to receive the wounds of the cross. And we're going to look at four of those today. But more than physical wounds, these wounds would be deep, emotional, spiritual wounds that he would suffer, and he would do it for you. And he would do it for me. And he would go through everything that he's about to go through in John 19 for you. The fact is that through his wounds, we connect with him in greater ways. There are four wounds of the cross I want to bring to your attention today, and Jesus endured these four wounds so that he could demonstrate to us that he understands. Look at John chapter 19. I just want to start by reading verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. The word there is scourged. If you're taking notes this morning, write down number one, Jesus knows my burden. Jesus knows my burden. The wound of scourging is the first wound that Jesus endured. I'll talk a little bit about this. The Romans perfected the art of torture through scourging. The Jews and Jesus' people would have been familiar with whips and whippings uh, in the synagogue for certain offenses. There was something you could do in the synagogue that would get you in trouble. The punishment usually was you would get whipped. I'm glad we don't implement that at our church. You know, my kids would not make it home some days. Uh, but that was what they did, is you could, you could get whips. The scourging of the Romans, though, was brutal enough to cause death in some cases, and its purpose was the most pain you could muster without dying, and then humiliation. The pain, in fact, would bring you to the very point of death, but not quite kill you, and combined with humiliation, you would just rather be dead than to go through the scourging that the Romans inflicted upon uh, the people that they did. The instrument used in the Latin is a term called a flagellum. It was a modified bullwhip. The bullwhip was used to bruise the victims, but the flagellum was at least three strands of whip, and sometimes they were three feet long, and as many as nine strands could be woven into a whip. That's where we get the term the cat of nine tails. And at the very end of those whips uh, were pieces of sharp rock and bone. Um, I read this. This is Ecclesiastical History, Book 4, Chapter 15. Uh, church historian Eusebius of Caesarea recounts a scourging. This is his firsthand account of a scourging that he witnessed himself in the early first centuries. He said, bystanders were struck with amazement when they saw them lacerated with scourges, even to the innermost veins and arteries, so that the hidden inward parts of the body, both their bowels and their members, were exposed to view. That was his account of a scourging. 
in the first few centuries of Roman history. While the Jews would use a whip, uh, they were limited to 40 lashes. That's all they could do according to Old Testament law. They would do 40 lashes. And so what they commonly did was, you would see it time and again through Scripture, where you would receive 40 lashes save one. So they would hold one back and only give you 39 in case they miscounted, because if you miscounted giving someone lashes, then they can turn and give the 40 lashes to you. So they did 40 lashes save one, 39. That was the Jewish law, but the Romans had no such law. There were no limits to the law of Moses with the Romans implemented. Uh, One writer said the victim would have been so weak from blood loss and pain that they would generally die more quickly than if they had not been scourged. It was not necessarily common for someone to be scourged and then to be crucified, but when it happened where someone was scourged and then crucified, they didn't last on the cross for very long because of all the blood they had lost in the scourging. Look again at uh, chapter 19. Look now at verse 4. The Bible says, Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. It seems a little bit like Pilate is sufficient. He sufficed with the scourging. Hey, you guys don't like this guy? I'm going to scourge him. So then he scourges him and says, Okay, I've scourged him. Now let's release him. I don't find any fault in him. Where the people say, No, we, we want him crucified. And so he sentences him to the cross. I had this cross put up here. This is obviously a makeshift cross that was not to scale. Uh, The cross that Jesus would have been crucified on would have been much bigger than this, much thicker than this. Um, But what they did is they, they used it for standard purposes to put someone on it, but then they also wanted to raise it high so Everyone could see this was a show. This was a spectacle that they would, that they would do in, in Roman culture. And so a typical cross, like the one Jesus would have been crucified on, would have been about nine feet tall and would have been six feet wide. It would have been full block wood that weighed roughly 300 pounds. Now, I don't know about you, but I go to the gym, and on a good day, having not been scourged, I would struggle to drag a 300-pound cross anywhere, much less up a hill. And here's Jesus who is trying to carry his cross six feet wide, nine feet tall, 300 pounds altogether after he had just been scourged and beaten nearly to death. And the point I want to make with this thought is that Jesus knows my burden. He knows what I'm carrying. He knows what you've been through this week, although I don't. He knows what you've been through this month. It's been a busy month for me. He knows what I've been through. He knows what you've been through. He knows what kind of year you've had this year. And he understands because Jesus knows your burden. Some of you, if you were to be honest with us, you would say, I'm carrying something right now that I physically don't know how much longer I can be able to carry this. Mentally, emotionally, spiritually, I'm not sure I can handle the weight of what I'm carrying. And I may not personally be able to relate to you but I can tell you of one who does. And he gets what you're going through. And he understands your burden. And he knows what you're carrying. Jesus knows what you're carrying and he understands the scars that come from the burdens that you bear. Number one, Jesus knows my burden. Number two, Jesus knows my battles. My battles. The second wound of the cross is where Jesus knows my battles. I feel like the vast majority of the battles that I fight in my life, I fight right up here. They're mental. Uh, They're psychological battles. 
They're things that I think are happening that sometimes aren't really happening. They're things that I think are the truth or I think this is the case and sometimes it's not really that way. Maybe that's you too. You are overly analytical and you think things are true when they're not. The second wound of the cross that Jesus experiences is the crown of thorns that was shoved down upon his head. Look at verse 2 of John 19. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. Everything that the Romans did to Jesus was to inflict pain or humiliation, and it was bonus points if it was both. And the crown of thorns was no different. If I was going to have to place something sharp that could cause you pain on top of your head, I would do so as delicately as possible. But I don't get the vibe that that's what was done here. I think they had a crown of thorns and they shoved it down on his head. And they rammed it in there. All the blood that he had already lost, all the pressure on his body that he had already faced in verse 1 with the flogging and the scourging. Now, the mental anguish as the pressure comes around his brain of what he is dealing with. They did it to inflict pain and humiliate him. Look at verses 5 and 6. Then Jesus came forth wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him crucify him. Pilate said to them, take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The scourging wasn't enough. The purple robe on top of his wounds wasn't enough. The crown of thorns on his head wasn't sufficient for them. They wanted him dead. And Pilate accommodated their request. One scholar suggests that the crown of thorns was a plant called the circle of euphorbia. It produces a sap that would drip off of the crown and would, would irritate the skin around the head. Others say that it would have been a thorny nabbock growing in Jerusalem, which is a flexible branch of thorns that could have been woven into a crown. Regardless of what it is specifically, Jesus would have already been bleeding from the head and the thorns cut deeper into his scalp, intensifying the pressure on his brain. Which says to me, Jesus knows my burdens, but Jesus knows my battles. He knows what I'm carrying, but he also knows what I'm dealing with up here. He also knows what I'm thinking about. He also knows what's on my mind. Um, Jesus knows what you're carrying. He knows what's on your mind. Hold your place there and turn back to Mark chapter number 14. I want you to see something in Mark chapter 14 that I read this past week that I found fascinating. We're going to rewind for a minute because Jesus in the garden spoke some of the most relatable words in all of the Gospels. And Mark's the only one that records it just this way. When you read through the Gospels, a lot of what Jesus says is powerful, but it's not all relatable. There's a lot of things that Jesus said and a lot of things that Jesus did that are great because he's God, but they're not really relatable to me. Uh, Jesus was healing diseases. I've never done that. Jesus was silencing the lawyers. I've never done that either. Jesus was healing sicknesses and raising the dead and feeding multitudes. Like if someone came to me today and said, hey, we were supposed to have a meal at church today. Did Pastor Rob not tell you when we went out of town? Like the best thing I can do is I can call Biscuitville or I could, you know, get the back room at CNH for a few of us. I mean, that's about all that I could do in my own strength. I can't just whip up food like Jesus did. And a lot of things Jesus did, they're powerful, but they're not relatable to me because I can't heal sicknesses. I can't raise the dead. I can't provide food for multitudes. I can't do a lot of the things that Jesus did. But in Mark 14, Jesus allows us to see his humanity on full display here. Look at Mark chapter 14, end of the chapter. Look at verse 32. 
It says, and they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Look at verse 34. Don't miss this. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Now these here are some of the most relatable words that Jesus ever spoke in my opinion, because he says here, what I'm facing, what is ahead of me, what I'm dealing with is so sorrowful that I think it's going to kill me. Uh, The word very sorrowful or exceeding sorrowful is one word in the Greek that's spelled out perilapos. And when you see it in English, the first part of the word actually spells out peril. He's in peril. He's in distress. He's struggling. The translation of this word literally means encompassed with grief and overwhelmed with sadness. You ever felt that? You ever felt encompassed with grief or overwhelmed with sadness? Because what you're going through is something that you can never handle on your own and you weren't intended to. I did a funeral this week on Friday for a man that was in my connect group who died at the age of 38. 38. And as I think about him and his wife that he leaves behind and the family, I think to myself, encompassed with grief, overwhelmed with sadness, these are the things that Jesus says. This is how he feels. I don't know what all you're going through, but I can tell you of one who does because he's been through it. He gets it. He understands. You come to me, I've never lost a parent, but if you've lost a parent, I can't relate to you, but he can. You have someone that's dying with a sickness. I can't relate to you sometimes in the exact way that you need with what you're going through, but I know of one who can because Jesus knows your burdens and he knows your battles. He says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. The thought of what lies ahead is so overwhelming to me, I don't even know that I can make it there. Jesus was perfection personified. He was pure deity. He was 100% God in human flesh, and he took on our hurt and our sins and our flaws and our failures so that we wouldn't have to, but he was not void of experiencing deep, emotional, physical sorrow and pain. And then he does something crazy. He asked God to change the plan. Look again at verse 35 and 36, same chapter. Going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. This is crazy to me because Jesus knew the plan. From the foundation of the world, he knew the plan. You could argue that Jesus developed the plan. The plan of your salvation and the plan of my salvation, Jesus knew the plan. And yet in this moment, he asked the Father, would you change the plan? Are you sure this is the only way? Is there any way I could bypass the cross and what I'm going to face and what I'm going through? You ever ask God to change your plans? You ever ask God to change your marriage or change your children or change your grandchildren or change your situation at work or your financial situation or your in-laws or something you're dealing with, a sickness? You ever ask God to change the plan? Because here is Jesus, God personified in human form, and he asks the Father, can we change the plan? Is it possible that this hour could pass for me? If you've ever questioned God to change your plans, you're in good company. In that moment, there were no answers. Here is Jesus, who is God, who knows all of the answers to life, and there were no other answers. 
You ever thought to yourself, if I just knew what the future held, if I just knew what the next couple days or what the next couple weeks would bring, I would be able to make a better decision. You ever thought that? If I just knew a little bit of the future, Jesus knew the future. He was God. He knew the plan, and, it, and he couldn't do anything else about it. He knew the future. He knew what was to come, and he allowed the Father to not change it. You know, Jesus is so human to me because the battles we face in our humanity, it's okay to sit in the sorrow. One of the reasons Jesus did it was so he could relate to us in a way that being God, he never would have been able to. So that's why he came down to us. Jesus wasn't being dramatic or sarcastic. I'm sarcastic sometimes when I, when I like to, to think about you know, I, I, we were last night, we were at a restaurant, and we had a large group, and it was a weekend, and it was for my daughter's birthday, and we waited forever at a restaurant. Um, I'm not going to tell you which one it was. You can check out my Yelp page. I'm just kidding. I didn't write about it. But I, I, I made the statement, and sub, several of the other family members made this statement, I am going to starve to death. You ever said that? That's what I thought. Um, I, I am so thirsty, I'm going to die. I've said that. Maybe some of you parents, you've made this statement. This child is going to be the death of me. Have you ever said something like that? That's hyperbole. It's sarcastic. Yeah, yeah, some of you have dealt with that. But Jesus wasn't doing that here. He wasn't being sarcastic. He wasn't being dramatic. He says, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, and I think it might kill me. I've been through the scourging. I know what's going to come up. And when I, when I look ahead at what's in the cross, it's so vain to me that the things that I'm going to face, I'm not going to be able to handle it. The, the grave situation that he was in, he said, I'm so sorrowful, I don't think I'm going to handle it. He goes a little further and falls on the ground and prays that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Look at verse 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will but what you will. In the moment of Jesus' greatest battle, his greatest sorrow, he still surrendered to the will of the Father. What a great template for us in our lives when we are handling something that we don't think we can face. I don't think I'm going to get through this. I don't think I'm going to make it. I don't think this is going to last. I don't think I can get through this. And what Jesus did when he came to that same situation that all of us have been through, he surrenders to the Father. Hey, if it's possible for this to pass, I would ask for it to pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. And he surrendered to the will of the Father. Jesus knows what I'm carrying, my burdens. Jesus knows what's on my mind. He knows my battles. Number three, Jesus knows my blame. He knows my blame. Although the gospel writers do not directly mention Jesus having the nails driven through his hands and feet, Jesus confirms that that was the case in John 20. I'll read it to you. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. The third wound of the cross was the nail prints that went in Jesus' hands and feet. Again, with a cross that would have been elevated this high, they drove the nails probably on the ground and laid them and stretched them out 
and they would have nailed his hands here and here and then his feet one across the other with these big spikes that they would have just driven through his, his hands and his feet. Generally, what they would do in a crucifixion like this is as a man was hanging on a cross, uh, he would, his body would sink down. And in order to breathe, being stretched out, he would lower down, and then he would, with his legs crossed, he would push up. And that was the only way that he could get air. It was the only way that he would be able to breathe. And so with the nail prints in his hands and in his feet, it's representative of the things that we have done in our lives that we shouldn't. The things that we've done the places that we've gone, the things that we shouldn't have done. It's representative of the sins that put him on the cross. It was your sins. It was my sins. Isaiah 53 says, He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's an amazing thought. Jesus knows my burdens. He knows what I'm carrying. Jesus knows my battles. He knows what's on my mind. And Jesus knows my blame, which means he knows what I did. I don't know what you did. I don't know the sins that you've committed in your life. I have no idea. Sometimes Pastor Rob will mention a a list of sins and somebody will say, hey, he he must be in my house. He must have a security camera. He must know what I'm up to. I don't know what you're up to. We don't know what you're up to. It's just... We're all human and we all do the same stupid stuff sometimes. I've said things that I shouldn't have said this week. I've done things I shouldn't have done this week. I've thought things that I shouldn't have thought this week. And what's crazy is I don't know your sins, but I know mine. I know mine. And they're personal to me. And they're deep. And why someone would want to go through this for me with what I've done, I don't get it. Why you would want to go through something like that for you with what you've done. It's because Jesus knows your burdens and Jesus knows your battles. But Jesus knows your blame. He knows the things that you've done that make you feel guilty. The biggest difference between Jesus and us is also the biggest difference between Jesus and the men who were crucified with him. Luke 23 says, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? We indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Hey, you know what would make the most sense? Is if we were to have to be scourged for our sins. If we were to have to hang on the cross for our sins. That's what makes the most sense, is for us to go through what he went through, because we indeed would have gone through it justly not him. He didn't do the sins you've done. He didn't do the sins that I've done. But yet Jesus knows my blame. One of them recognized that Jesus was innocent. Jesus knows what you've done. He still loves you. Jesus knows what you've done, and he still went through the scourging of the cross. Jesus knows what you've done, and he was still willing to die just for you.
He knows what you're carrying. He knows what's on your mind, and he knows what you did. I'll get to this fourth point where I want to spend a couple more minutes. It is because Jesus knows my burdens, and Jesus knows my battles, and Jesus knows my blame, that number four, Jesus knows my brokenness. He knows my brokenness. Because at the end of it all, we're all just broken people. You, you came to church today, and you got dressed, and you got ready, and you had breakfast, and you got in your car, and you came in, and man, it was church day today. You had it all figured out, right? We like to think that we've got it all together, and almost all the time, we don't. We like to impress people with our strengths instead of connecting with them through our weaknesses. But in the end, we're all just broken people. It was customary at the end of the suffering of the crucifixion for the legs of those crucified to be broken as it would expedite the process of dying. As I said earlier, they they would push up on their legs just in order to get a breath. And they would take that deep breath and they would exhale and they would sink back down. And they would do it again and they'd sink back down. They were constantly pushing up on their feet just to get another breath. So Jesus, after the scourging, and after the humiliation, and after hanging naked on a cross for several hours, that's what they would do, is they would come through, and the Romans would have them uh, hanging high, nine feet in the air, and they would come through with their clubs, and they would break their legs so that they could no longer push up, they would no longer breathe. So on top of all the suffering they would been th- had been through, they would publicly let them suffocate to death in front of the crowd. This is the kind of death that people on the cross died. So the centurions would break their legs. The Old Testament, though, was clear that when the Messiah saves his people, none of his bones would be broken. It's amazing when you read through uh, the first century accounts of what it was that Jesus went through in his scourging and in his crucifixion. It's amazing that he did not break any bones, but the prophecy was fulfilled. You're there in John 19. Look at verse 31. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear And at once there came out blood and water. While his bones were not broken, his body was pierced. And his body was broken for us. John cites in his gospel that Jesus was already dead. And that the spear that pierced him, which was his final wound of the cross, spilled out blood and water. I read a lot of commentators that weigh in on on that fact. And a lot of them contend that this indicates Jesus died of a broken heart. His heart burst, and that's why blood and water spilled out. So then, although none of his bones were broken, his body was broken for you, and his heart was broken for you. And he did that so that Jesus would understand your brokenness. He'd understand your brokenness. Today, we've looked at the physical wounds that Jesus suffered, but let's not forget the mental and emotional pain that he faced as the Father turned his back on Jesus in those hours on the cross. I know there are people here today who have been broken by this world. They've been beaten down. Some people are watching online because they can't physically come to a church like this 
because of what was done to them by somebody else or some church or some person in their past. And I want to tell you today, Jesus understands your brokenness in a way that no one else ever could. I'm working on a master's degree currently in clinical mental health counseling. And I took this class a couple of weeks ago, and it was called Group Counseling. And it was, it was really an awesome class. And the way that the class is set up is it was all virtual, and we did it on Zoom or WebEx, I don't remember, but there were 20 of us in the class. And they divided the class in two, two groups of 10. And for group counseling, there wasn't really a therapist leader, it was just group stuff. And everybody would share real things that they were going through. They gave us questions and prompts uh, to get us to generate some conversation. But there were two groups of 10. And so I was in a group of 10, and, and when, when it was our turn, we had our mics on, we had our cameras on, and we were there in a group uh, therapy session. And uh, what I liked is when it wasn't my group's turn, we got to turn our mics off and our cameras off, and we just got to observe the other group of 10. And it was, it was I kind of was on edge, you know, as we're there sharing things. And then it was nice to get to go first because you get it over with, and then you just get to observe the other group with all of the stuff that they get to go through. And so it was great. You know, we went through our session, and it was like, wow, I'm glad that's over. So we turned off our mics, we turned off our cameras, and the other group of 10 turned theirs on, and they started with their session. And they started going in their session, and they were sharing, and it was an hour-long session. And about 30 minutes into the session, about halfway, this girl began to share, and she started talking about her story and her life, and she started to cry. And she began to share some abuse that she had went through in her past, And she started talking about mental abuse that progressed into physical abuse that ultimately ended with sexual abuse. And she poured her heart out for about 10 minutes and shared her story of abuse that was deep and personal and real. And she shared it. And then then it was like toward the end of as she was sharing, she kind of caught herself thinking, I think I've shared too much. I think I've gone too far. And then she made a statement that almost tried to marginalize what she had said that was deep and real. And she said, but but that's my story. I don't know if any of you have been through that. And after she said that, there were a couple seconds of silence. And there was a woman in that group who spoke up, and she said one word. She said one word. And it was a word that would change the rest of the dynamic of that conversation. She said, I don't know if that's my story. I don't know if any of this has happened to you. And it was silent, and it was silent. And this one woman said to her, same. Same. And all the attention focused on this other lady. And she shared her story. And she said, I know what you've been through. Same. And after she shared, another woman started by saying the word, same. I've been through some of that. And after her, a man in the group shared and said, same, I've got different details, but I endured some abuse when when I was younger, and here's my story. And then another woman, same. That's how all of them started, same, same, same. And, And when we think about it, we're all just going through life. We like to think that we have it all together, but we don't. And there are other people that are really going through stuff. 
And they have problems in their family too. And they struggle in their marriages too. And they have problems with their kids too. And their grandkids too. And they have money problems too. And they don't know how they're going to pay these bills either. And they've got more month than they've got money, just the same as you do. And they've got people they love that are sick too. And they've got people who they love very much who have died too. And they've got people that are fighting cancer too. And we don't understand, but all of us are kind of in this together, right? And we can say, hey, your situation is different than mine, but same. I've been through some of that. But you know who's never been through any of that? Jesus. He's sitting up in heaven on his throne with God. He's God. He can't really relate. So you know what he did? He came down. He came down, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, what did he do? He humbled himself and he became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross, so that he could say to you, same, same. I get what you're going through. I'm going to come down to where you are so that I can touch you and say, same. I don't know what you're going through, but he does. And he says, he says, same. And then he comes over to where you are and he says, Gail, same. I get what you're going through, Gail. I don't personally, but Jesus does. And, and then he, he makes his way back and he says, same, Paul. I get it. I know what you're dealing with. I know what you're going through. And he says, same. And he reaches to each and every one of us and says, same. Jason doesn't get it. Rob doesn't get it sometimes. The people sitting next to you, they don't always get it. But Jesus said, I do. Same. And I went through it for you. We don't have a high priest that can't be touched with the feelings of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. We don't have some priest or some pastor that we've got to go to that doesn't understand us. We have God. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You can't bear it on your own. You were never designed to bear it on your own. That's why he came down to say to you, same I get it. Nobody else might get it. But Jesus says, I do. I know your burdens. And I know the battles that you're fighting up here. And I know what you've done. I know your blame. But my body was broken for you. I get what it is you're going through. Your brokenness, Jesus says, I get it. Same. Same. Why did he experience that kind of brokenness? He's in heaven, man. He's God. He didn't have to do any of it. He did it so that he could come down and reach into your life and say, same, same. If you came in here today with scars, heavy and burdened with your past, laden down with life, can I just tell you to leave it here? He wants you to look at the cross and not feel guilt. He wants you to feel grace. He wants you to bring to the cross and then leave from the cross different than how you came. When you come with guilt, he wants you to leave with grace. Whatever you came in here with today, I can't relate probably. 
I haven't been through what you've been through. I don't live your life. I don't get it. But he does. And he says to you, same. Jesus knows what you're carrying, my burdens. He knows what's on your mind, your battles. He knows what you did, blame. And he knows what you're going through, brokenness. And he went through all of it to speak one word into your life, the word that has the power to change everything else. He says, same, same. I went through it all and I would do it again. I did it for you, same. Listen, may I have your heads about a nice close this morning? Before we pray, as the praise team comes, I understand that a sermon like this hits everyone a little bit differently. Some of you are here today and you're looking for relationship. The wounds that Jesus took on in the cross and in his scourging, his wounds are pointless until you have a relationship with him. They're pointless. They don't mean anything to you until you're one of his. There are a million ways to Jesus, but there is only one way to God, and that is through the person of Jesus Christ. Through his scars, you are healed. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man gets to the Father but by me. And he did it all for you, and today you can personally accept him by faith. Some of you are looking for reconciliation. You've made some mistakes in your life and they've left you with wounds and bruises and scars. And today I just want to tell you, leave them here. Give them to Jesus. He wants to heal you. Some of you today are looking for redemption. You face some awful tragedies and brokenness in your life and today you want to know how can God possibly redeem what I've been through? What you're carrying, he's carrying with you. What you're fighting, he's fighting with you. And what you're striving for, he is striving with you. And he wants to bring victory from your wounds, from your failures, from your scars. And he can do that because, like you, he was broken. The same. Father, I pray that you bless this time of invitation, I pray that you'd continue to speak to our hearts. God, we are so grateful as we remember the wounds that you did for us. What you endured on the cross, God, I pray that we would come to the cross with guilt, but leave from the cross with grace for all that you've done for us. God, we are so thankful that you get what we're going through. It's the same. God, I pray that we would leave our brokenness and our scars here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me, if you will, all over the room. The praise team's going to sing. The altar's open. If you've got something you carried in here today and you're not interested in carrying it out with you, that's why he came. That's why he went through what he went through is because he went through the same and he did it for you. If you've got a need, the altar's open as we sing this morning.